Our scripture reading this morning will be Romans chapter 16, verse 19. Romans 16, verse 19. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. Good morning. It is so good to see you on this Lord's Day. Glad that you are here. In just a few hours, I'll be heading toward Bear Valley, where I'll be teaching this week. Please keep me in your prayers, and I hope that you'll keep uh, Cherie in your prayers as well while we're away from each other. Great to see you this morning, though. A couple of things to really think about. Sheep tend to stay together. We talk about the flock. We talk about the fold. When we think of sheep, we think of a fold or a flock. And when we think of God's people, we are His people and the sheep of His pasture, Psalm 100 says. So people, God's people, can be thought of as sheep. God's flock, God's fold, John 10, 1 through 18. When the elders of the church are addressed by Paul in Acts 20... He refers to elders and says they are to shepherd the flock among them. That's Acts 20 and verse 28 again. What I want you to see is this. God's people were intended to spend a lot of time together. We are God's flock, God's fold, and we are people who should enjoy being with other sheep, with others who are part of God's family. Here's something really important to follow, just as important. The Bible does not speak highly of sheep who isolate and seclude themselves from all other sheep. As a matter of fact, if we think about the old devil who goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, it seems that it only makes sense that a secluded, isolated sheep is easy pickings for the old devil. Therefore, every Christian... Every person who belongs to Christ needs to think of themselves as a sheep in God's flock. A member of God's family. Open your Bibles to two passages with me from the New Testament. The first one is 1 Timothy 3.15. 1 Timothy 3.15. This passage is about behavior in the house. Behavior in the household. If you have been part of a house, you know that there are house rules. 
And if you are part of the Lord's church, part of God's family, God's house, there are house rules. And when you think of 1 Timothy 3.15, it's one of those passages that really stresses behavior as part of God's family. 1 Timothy deals a lot with how we behave as part of God's family. If I delay that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house, household, or family of God. Mark that expression in your Bibles. Because Christians are part of the family, the household, the house of God. In Greek, it's the word oikos, which simply means family or house. Now turn to the second passage. Ephesians 2.19. Ephesians 2.19 talks about our being fellow citizens with the saints and members of the house of God. The church is the family of God. The house of God. And that's not something to be taken lightly, nor is it something that we should isolate ourselves from and seclude ourselves from. You know, when we do have times of isolation or withdrawal, I would suggest that we use those times to draw closer to God. And to behold the wonders of His creation. Wouldn't you agree with that? But a lot of people may go out to enjoy creation and they leave time with God really out of it. Out of the whole equation. How important it is to think about our being sheep in God's flock. Sheep in God's fold. Now listen. Hear me please. I wonder how people that just constantly isolate and seclude themselves from other Christians are going to enjoy heaven very much. Because heaven's going to be the ultimate family reunion. Can I get an amen there? The ultimate family reunion. And we were just singing about those some go before us, we'll all meet again. And we were talking about being part of the family of God. And that's a marvelous message. But if we always have been isolating and secluding ourselves and keeping everyone at arm's distance from, from us as a Christian, keeping other Christians away like that, I wonder how we're going to enjoy the greatness of heaven. Open your Bibles to Romans 16. Romans 16. This is a most important chapter. Now there's 1189 chapters in our English Bibles and every single one of them is important. 
But you would think that the ending of a book like Romans on how God makes men right through Jesus and His gospel is going to really come to a great end. And it does. It does. What's emphasized in Romans chapter 16 is all in the family. When the roll is called down here, we sing when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. But when the roll is called down here, we ought to be there too. And the reason I talk about this chapter this morning with you is that Romans 16 is the most intimate and expressive chapter in all of Paul's writing about the brotherly love and relationship we have as part of God's family. Now you're thinking about a guy who wrote an awful lot about brotherly love and unity and working together. That's right, he did. But you won't find any extended passage that says more about the relationships that we ought to have with one another as Christians and being God's family than Romans chapter 16. And that makes it well worth our thought, well worth our careful meditation. And let me give you four or five observations from the picture of God's family, the church, in this passage. And then let me draw two or three practical applications. Nothing particularly difficult about this lesson this morning, except applying it with the heart and love consistently that we ought. All right. In looking at Romans 16, first of all, observe this. Between 27 and 30 people are named in the chapter. Along with a couple of others who are described and would be well known to the recipients of the book, but are not particularly named. They're not especially named. What's fascinating about this is as far as we know, Paul had never even been to Rome and yet he mentions 27 to 30 people by name, the vast majority of whom are part of the church at Rome. And that's not only the case, but there's several churches meeting in Rome and there are references to two or three of them at least in this chapter. How does a person get to know so much about Christians in a place that he's never been? How can he speak of them so intimately and with such brotherly love? When you encounter Christians from other places, 
or when you are a guest in another congregation. Try to learn the things that you can about the church while you're there. And listen, friends, ask people about the church that they work with, that they're part of the congregation. Tell me about your mission work. Tell me about things that you're doing in the community. Tell me about special needs or or matters about which I can pray about your congregation, the church you're a part of. We're all part of God's family. How many of you got kinfolk that you've never seen at any point in your life except in a family reunion? Raise your hand. I guarantee you we are going to have the ultimate family reunion in glory and we ought to try to learn something more about each other now. I thank God for local churches. But Paul did not just get zapped by God to be so knowledgeable about a church that he never visited yet. Does it say something about the concern for other churches then, Wayland, you reckon? And those people are our brothers and sisters too? And they have struggles and victories and stories to share and talk about things that they're excited about, just like you and I do? I find it fascinating... that he's dealing with the church hundreds of miles away from where he presently is, probably Corinth. And yet he knows so many people. And here's how he does it. He asks people that he encounters, tell me about the church there at Rome. You've been there. And has it ever been the case with you that you'd heard so much about people or a place that you felt like you knew them because you were interested? That's how the Apostle Paul was with local churches. Now, it'll help you really appreciate more what he meant when he said in 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and through 28, that I have the concern of all the churches on me. It's because he loved local churches. He loved the family of God wherever it was meeting, and he wanted to learn more about it. How about you? You know... Here at Westside, especially as more people come and as the memory gets a little foggier, it's hard to keep up with everybody. It's hard to keep up with all the T's in the Marshall family, huh? But it is something that's important to people. Imagine the fact... that Paul knew so many of these people by name. And most of them were just ordinary folk like most of us. Number two. Here's another observation from this chapter. 
before I leave that one, even here at Westside, we can kind of get used to sitting in a certain place and visiting with certain people, and I think that's, that's good. But I would suggest that you sit in different places and you make it a point to head to somebody you don't know well and say, I just think I need to get to know you better if that's all right. Can we just talk for a little while? Tell me about yourself and how your life is. Is there something I can pray about? That can't help but bless the church at Westside. Amen, church? Here's the second observation. This book and this chapter was written to real people living in a real world, living in real time about a real God and the work of God in real life. To real people in a real world, in real time, about a real God dealing with real life. Sometimes when people study the book of Romans, and maybe you've heard this, This is a book that's deep. This is a book that is deep and it deals with justification by faith and it uses words like propitiation and sanctification and it's easy to get lost in the polysyllabic words. No! There's no doubt that every book of the Bible is deep and rich. But this is a book written to people like us about the magnificent salvation we have in Jesus and His gospel. And all the things that Paul has been talking about, and it gives us great insight into preaching and teaching in life, whatever we're talking about concerning God and eternal truth has got to be done to draw people closer to Him. The family of God consist of ordinary, diverse people. People who are ordinary and diverse in a lot of ways. Who know God. Hebrews 8, 6-13. Who love God. Mark 12 and verse 30. Who serve God. Hebrews 12, 28. But these same people who know God, love God, and serve God, know one another, love one another, and serve one another too. They know each other. They love each other, John 13, 34, and 35, and they serve each other. Galatians 5 and verse 13. A real book for real people about real life, a real God, served in real time. So Romans is deep, but it's about God and us. Third, and catch this. This chapter is remarkably Christ-centered. This, center, this, this chapter is remarkably Christ-centered. 
I jotted down references. Notice this. As Paul speaks of others, how does he think of others? Romans 16, notice verse 2. Phoebe. She is not only our sister and a servant. She is a person who is to be welcomed in the Lord. Mark each of these if you would. Welcome her in the Lord. She's a supporter and a patron of many good works, including the work that I'm trying to do, Paul says. Notice next, verse 3. Aquila and Priscilla, that great husband and wife team, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Keep looking. Again, verse 5. Verse 5. Same chapter. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Look at verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles. Catch it now. They were in Christ before me. He's talking about men and women, brothers and sisters... Some who are single, some who are married. Seven different women at least are mentioned in this chapter. And he relates to everybody in the Lord. In Christ before me. Now wouldn't it be interesting for Paul to sit down and talk to somebody who was in Christ before him because before he was in Christ, he was a persecutor. Keep looking at the passage. Verse 8. My beloved in the Lord. Look at verse 9. My fellow worker in the Lord. Look at Apelles in verse 10. Who is approved in Christ. Look at verse 11. Greet. My kinsman Herodian, greet those in the Lord. Look at verse 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother. And listen, y'all, who has been a mother to me as well. Rufus is chosen in the Lord. Greet workers in the Lord, verse 12. And verse 14 talks about, and going on through 15, those that are chosen in the Lord. And then notice verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. When you think about people in the church... Think about what you've been through in the Lord. This is such a Christ-centered passage. We were prisoners together in the Lord. These are the kind of things Paul would write about. And you know, he's so true to who he is here because he cannot see life apart from Jesus 
So when he thinks about the family of God, he can't help but think about Jesus. I wish all of us would think more like that. Because we think about how weird somebody is or how I don't know if I really like what they're wearing or if I like the way they speak or things of that nature when we ought to be thinking about the relationship we have in Christ. Maybe we ought to ask God in prayer to help us think more about one another that way. Amen. Number four. When he thinks about God's family, he's full of brotherly love and he has a knowledge. You know, I don't know if you could buy mailing lists, but it seems like he must have been buying their mailing list in Rome, huh? Reading their emails. He really seems to know these people, though he's never been in Rome. But notice how the letter closes. With at least 16 verses speaking of greeting and brotherly love. And greeting is repeated 13 times in this chapter. To greet. To give a warm welcome to. To express the love that we have as family, the family of God. The chapter concludes with a warning and with an outburst of praise to God. When you think about churches, think about the love you should have for them and the love God has for them. Every name matters because every name is an eternal soul cared for by God. Every face matters. But he warns these people. Look at verses 17 through 20 about the reality of false teaching. And you stop and think about it. This is a subject rarely dealt with in the book of Romans. It's not like 2 Peter. It's not like Jude just dealing a great deal with false teaching up front. This is talking about what the truth is and how we ought to hold to it and rejoice in it. But he mentions false teaching in verses 17 through 20. Why? Because our love for God's family make us jealous about anything hurting our family. I wish more Christians were concerned about unhealthy things that hurt God's family. Now notice verses 25 through 27. The book ends with praise to the only wise God who has made salvation possible in Jesus. If you will compare Romans 16, 25 through 27, with the opening verses of chapter 1, you will see that virtually every theme that's a great theme in Romans is hit in each, the intro and the conclusion. What a book. What a Christian man who loved the church and Paul. What a God he served. 
two or three observations by way of application as we draw matters to a close. Number one. Everybody look up. You don't have to write it down. It'll be easy to remember. God knows your name. If no one else in all the world knew my name, but God did, that would be all that matters. But God in His mercy and grace gives us family and friends, church family, who know our names even here. How can anybody say that we're not blessed? How can anybody really count all their blessings? The Lord knows them that are His. 2 Timothy 2.19 What a great and assuring promise. Application number two. God has uniquely given you gifts and talents as part of His family that are to be used in the church for His glory and for the common good. God has blessed each one of us with talents and gifts that are to be utilized in the church, in the family, to God's glory and for the common good. Now friends, if you're a SMO, and by a SMO I mean Sunday morning only, or if you are a person that has a difficult time really being involved in the family, the life of the family of God that meets here. God has given you abilities and talents that make you unique and special by failing to exercise those in the context of the local church. That's not glorifying God. And it's not helping the church. Please rethink that. Please repent. When you look at the 27 to 30 names, there are a number of them that you can't even pronounce initially without getting a little help. And many of those are found only in this passage in all of the New Testament. Yet God who knew, he knew who they were. And the Apostle Paul, a friend, a brother in God's family, knew who they were. That's what matters. How will you be described? I think about some of those just phrases that are used. Approved in the Lord. They risk their necks for me. Their fellow workers, beloved in the Lord. The brother, our sister. If somebody says about our sweet sister Anella Van Hush, she taught school for a long time 
and she was here faithfully and she loved Jesus. I, I suspect in one sentence, Anella would be fairly happy with that. If somebody said Lynn Mayfield tried to serve the Lord faithfully for years as a shepherd, he tried to bring his family up in a way that would honor the good Lord, and he cared about our souls. If that was all that Lynn had said about him, I think he'd be pretty happy to meet his Lord. If somebody says about Big Jeff here, he's a big fellow that we'll see walking around town, but anytime he sees somebody at the church building, he stops and he's wanting to talk and visit. And he's got his open Bible. I think Jeff would be pretty happy with that. All of us want to grow. If someone says that Clay Mims has given 60 years of his life to preaching the gospel and he's closer to home than he ever has been, I think Brother Clay can appreciate that and we can appreciate that about him too. The thing is, what I want you to see is every single one of you, when you leave this world, we're going to think something about you in relationship to the family. What will we think about you in relation to God's family here at Westside? Part of the family? Kept the family at arm's length? Isolated and secluded yourself from the family? Or someone that really was part of the family of God? If you're not part of the church of Jesus Christ, the Romans' way has to do with hearing the gospel and believing it. The Romans' road to salvation has to do with repenting of our sins, Romans 2 and verse 4. The Romans' way of salvation has to do with confessing Jesus as the Son of God, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. And the Romans' way of salvation has to do with baptism into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, Romans 6, verses 3 through 5. This is not just the Romans' way, though it is that. It's the way of God and the way of Scripture. Are you part of God's family? Let us stand and sing.